Good morning, and welcome to all who are listening to our message by sermon audio this morning. Because of these shutdowns, the saints of God have had their God-given rights and privileges to meet corporately each Lord's Day seriously curtailed. Some have, nonetheless, chosen to obey God rather than mammon, and at great cost to themselves. Others have chosen more creative methods to meet with their congregations on the Lord's Day, albeit under less-than-ideal situations. Regardless of the hardships which we all face because of these shutdowns, we here at Faith are committed to producing our series of messages on sermon audio, not only to encourage all the saints who may be shut in, but to also fulfill our God-given mandate to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned onto fables. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. Never before has the truth been so hated and so attacked in society as today. Disinformation by the mass news media is the norm of the day. Lying is no longer a vice or frowned upon, but actually embraced and perfected by those in authority over us, so that it, lying, has now become a valuable tool in their climb to power. Those who attempt to speak out for the truth are quickly attacked and silenced into submission. Political correctness has worked its magic in suppressing the truth. And now when society needs the church more than ever, the church has been systematically hindered worldwide from functioning freely. But not everyone is duped. Christians who are in the Word and love their Savior more than the things of the world know exactly what is going on and who is behind it all. And the tragedy of it all is that the story does not end very well for the enemies of the cross. With those thoughts in mind, let's turn to our main text for this morning's sermon Exodus chapter 20, verses 7 to 11, as we once again resume our studies on the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles handy, would you please turn to Exodus 20, verses 7 to 11, and we'll read the passage together. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, 
thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them that is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And may God the Holy Spirit grant us the wisdom and the grace to understand the passage before us. But as always, let's turn to the Lord in prayer first. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful to have the Word of God in our hands even this day. And we trust that by the leading of thy Holy Spirit, as we deliver this message, that the saints of God might be refreshed in the things of God, and that they might be encouraged, that we might all be encouraged by this precious passage before us. For we ask it in our Savior's name, and always for his glory. Amen. In part one of Exodus 20, we tackled verses 1 to 6 and looked at the first two commandments, namely verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then in verses 4 to 5, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Very simply and clearly stated, no other gods before me and no graven images of those false gods. Again, we need to be reminded who spoke these commandments. It was God himself, the one who created this universe and all life within it. He who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent decreed that it should be so. Thus, not only does God have the right to decree them, because he alone created all things and therefore has a right to guide his creature's behavior, but also because he is omnipotent. He is able to do anything that he wills, since his authority and power are without limit. And thirdly, because he is also omnipresent, he is able to see and to monitor all his creation simultaneously and not miss a single thing. Judgments will be righteous. Now we come to the third commandment in verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Here we have a most misunderstood commandment. Many today understand it to mean that we are not to use the name of Christ as a swear word or a curse word. That, of course, should never be the case with Christians. We rightly ought to never use our Lord's name in such a manner. But let me remind you that Christ had not yet come to this earth when the Ten Commandments were given. So there was no possibility that his name would ever be used in such a manner. So what then does this third commandment forbid? In short, 
It warns God's people to not take his name lightly or irreverently when speaking about him. We are to never take his name in vain. And how would we do that? First of all, we would do that through hypocrisy. We profess to be his people, but we do not depart from iniquity. We continue to live carelessly and behave no differently than the unsaved. Imagine a child of a king playing in the mud and the filth in the market square for all to see and to ridicule. Is this the king's child? What a disgrace! Secondly, we take his name in vain when we make promises to him and then we don't keep them or when we swear an oath in his name to others to prove our sincerity in the matter and then recant thereby bringing dishonor to him. And then there is a third, one that is so prevalent among those who hypocritically profess to be what they know they are not, false prophets and purveyors of false hope in our churches today. Those who say, God told me that he is going to do such and such a thing today, or God spoke to me in a vision revealing his plan for this nation, etc. Telling someone that God personally spoke to you when he did not is taking his name in vain, thus perverting his word and profaning his name making him out to be a liar. In the Old Testament, when such a violation occurred, the false prophet was to have been stoned to death. The test of a true prophet was the 100% rule. Everything which he told the people that God revealed to him would happen in its time. And if it didn't, he, the false prophet, was then to be stoned to death. Today, such false prophets are everywhere, duping the people, promising them things God never told them, and in the process, fleecing the sheep of their hard-earned money. But, says the Lord in the second part of verse 7, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, this is a dire warning. God himself, who cannot lie, has said that he would not hold the offender guiltless. The sinner himself may see no harm in this, but God is the avenger of all who will take his name in vain. Of that we can be certain. Hebrews 10.31 tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For when that happens, the sinner's time for repentance has passed, and hope of forgiveness is gone. So as Christians, we need to be very diligent in not taking our God's name in vain. Next, we come to the fourth commandment, which deals with worship and the time of worship. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, or the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Here we have an interesting situation in the fourth commandment concerning the Sabbath or the seventh day of the week. It is not the first time that it is mentioned as the Sabbath, nor is it instituted here for the first time, but rather it is reinstituted or revived. Its original mention is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And the Lord blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So way back then in the Garden of Eden, before the fall of Adam and Eve, God had already sanctified the Sabbath. It was to be first and foremost a day of rest, a day of ceasing from work, pointing symbolically to that day of rest which all believers would one day enjoy in Christ Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, we are reminded when the Lord calls all who will hear, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only Christ can give us that final rest. And this Sabbath, or day of rest, also has a positive effect on even the unbelieving soul. Rest from heavy labor. It gives both the body and the mind the opportunity to rejuvenate, so to speak, and to be better fit to face another new week of labor. Though the sinner may know nothing of God's grace and his love for him, he may nonetheless receive great benefit to his body from this day of rest or Sabbath if he takes advantage of it. Secondly, the Sabbath was to be a holy day, a day set aside for the Lord whereby the people of God would honor him through their holy exercises. This was what would set the Jewish nation apart from all the other nations, this Sabbath day. Next, we find explicit instructions in verses 10 as to who must observe the Sabbath. Not only was the head of the house to keep the Sabbath, but also his children, both sons and daughters, as well as all of his servants, both male and female, including any strangers who may be within his gates as well. It was therefore incumbent upon the master of the house to ensure that all under his watch 
would observe the Sabbath. No exceptions. Now, some might find it a little bit odd that the wife is not mentioned here. And the simple explanation is that she is supposed to be one with the husband, not only in flesh, but in purpose. And so it is taken for granted that she too would join her husband in the observance of the Sabbath. Then in the following verse, verse 11, we are given the reasons for this commandment. First and foremost, this was to be the Lord's day, the day in which the Lord's people were to preoccupy themselves with their God. It was to remind them that God created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh, and therefore it was to be observed to honor him. It was the day in which all their efforts were to be put to serving him and worshiping him. This, of course, became the distinguishing feature of the Jewish nation. This set them apart from all the other pagan, idolatrous nations until Israel began to apostatize and no longer faithfully kept the Sabbath. And that eventually would lead to their captivity and their punishment. We're also told in verse 11 that the Lord blessed it and hallowed it. There would be much practical profit to those who observed it, as he decreed. They would not only be brought closer to their God and enjoy the fruits of that relationship, both spiritually and materially, but it would also afford them the badly needed rest from their arduous labors. We sometimes forget today just how hard labor was pre-modern ages. The work was arduous, with long hours, no regard or regulations for the healthy, for the health and safety of the laborer, no technology to speed up production, no sick days, no paid vacations, etc. That weekly Sabbath was not only meant to be a holy day, but also a day of rest for both body and soul. And so we have the first four commandments given as they relate to the Israelites' responsibility to his or her God. Then we come to the next six commandments in verses 12 to 17, dealing with the Israelites' responsibility to his or her fellow man. And once again, we need to point out how important the first commandment is in both of the two divisions. In the first series of four, if the Israelite failed to acknowledge that the Lord, he is God, and that he is God alone, then of course the rest would be impossible to accept, let alone obey. And so too in the next division, if the Israelite failed to accept and obey the first commandment, that of honoring one's father and mother, then what followed would also fall on deaf ears. And Lord willing, in our next message, I would like to tackle the next six commandments 
which deal with our responsibilities towards our fellow man. And I say our responsibilities because the New Testament in Paul's letters to the church reaffirms them as such, as such especially in Romans 13, verse 9. But before I conclude our sermon for this morning, let me ask you this. Where do you stand before God this morning? Are you in Christ or are you still out of Christ? Those are very serious questions. And there are only two possibilities. Either you are saved or you are not saved. Either all your sins have been forgiven or they have not been forgiven. Either you are going to heaven when you die or you are not. Life is filled with uncertainties and daily dangers. This is a fallen world. There is no hope for a better tomorrow without the one who holds the future. If you are uncertain as to where you stand before a holy and a righteous God, I plead with you while you still can, turn from your sins. Turn to the one who went to the cross of Calvary and took your sins and my sins upon his own shoulders and nailed them to that cross. Turn to Jesus now by faith, for he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, absolutely no one, comes to God the Father but by him. John 14, 6. And the Bible clearly tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9. Won't you turn to him now, if you haven't done so already, and receive that wonderful gift of salvation? He is still in the business of saving souls, even in this late hour. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank thee for thy word, and we thank thee for the Ten Commandments. For these commandments reveal to us thy holy standard. And it also reveals to us that no one has been able to keep them or will be able to keep them. No one except the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this sin-ruined world to redeem us from the curse of the law. And so, Father, we pray that if there be any who have heard this message this morning, who has not yet surrendered his or her life to the Lord Jesus, we pray that that be the case this evening, that the word of God will find an entrance into that lost soul's heart and bring them into a new and wonderful relationship with our loving Savior. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray, and once again, if the Lord be not come next Lord's Day, May it please thee to bring us all together around his table, for we ask it in his name 
and for his glory once again. Amen.